0: Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a Bible on your lap to Psalm 34. If you need a Bible, you'll find one on a floor, the floor somewhere around you. And if you kind of just open that Bible right to the middle, you'll probably land in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 34. And don't worry, we're going to sing more. Okay, I know I'm up here a little early uh, today, but we're going to sing more. And it's really important. I, one of the things that we are uh, uh, that we believe as a church is that um, worship isn't just when we sing, but like everything that we. We do to the Lord is worship. And so even on a Sunday morning, we worship in song, and we worship in giving, and then we worship through the preaching of the Word, and then we're going to worship some more. But especially as we study the Psalms, um, these are songs. We, we are, uh, what we're about to do right now is unpack in about a half hour the lyrics of a worship song. And so um, I really, really want you right now to not, to not think of this time as, okay, now worship is done, and now we're going to preach. No, we're going to keep the worship set going through the preaching of the Word, and then we're going to respond to this by singing some more. Cool? All right, good, 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 good. The song we're going to sing immediately when I'm done preaching this morning is a song called 10,000 Reasons. It's a song we sing around here fairly often. Um, The very first time I heard this song, years and years and years ago, right away, the very first line kind of gave me a catch in my spirit. Bless the Lord. You want me to sing it? You want me to sing it? No, no, you just want me to say it, okay? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And I remember uh, when this song came out, I was probably like early 20s and um, really, you know, my faith came alive at 19. And so I was really like, whoa, 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 I think that's backwards, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Like, up to that point in my life, I had only ever heard about blessing as something that the Lord does for us. And so I wanted to see the first line of that song and go, no, 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 that's backwards. The Lord blesses us. There's, there's no way that we can possibly bless the Lord. How do we as mere mortals, mere humans, bless the Lord? And I'm like, I don't know about that. I just, I, 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 it kind of gives me a catch in my spirit. I'm like, where are they getting that from? And then I read the Bible, and I'm like, oh, they're getting it from the Bible. Matt Redmond, the guy who wrote the song, is probably on safe ground. Look at the very first line of this psalm we're studying this morning. Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. There it is right there. You see that here in Psalm 34, you see it in other psalms, you see it throughout Scripture, this principle that we as God's people can bless the Lord. Now, if you're like me, I think I have a way better grasp and understanding of what it looks like for the Lord to bless us. What in the world does it look like for us as his people to bless him? Uh, uh, the late Old Testament professor at Azusa Pacific, Gerald Wilson, he says it like this in his commentary on this psalm. He said, the kind of blessing God gives to his people calls for for a response in kind. And so as we look around at our life, and and, and how often do you find yourself saying, just like, look, look, we are blessed. And and the blessing of the Lord transcends certain categories that sometimes we want to pigeonhole them into. But you might be sitting on a back patio watching your kids playing and go, oh, my goodness. Just those moments that it hits you, like, how blessed are we? Uh, You you might be uh, sitting on a vacation staring at a beautiful sight and you just go, God is so good to us. You might be in the midst of a deep valley, and yet in the midst of that valley, the nearness of the presence of the Lord is right there, and you're like, Lord, you bless us unbelievably. And so Gerald Wilson says, as we experience God's blessing, what that should prompt in the heart of a Jesus follower is a desire to want to reciprocate that, to want to live lives that reciprocate goodness, worship back to the Lord in thought and in word and in action. And David says here, I will bless the Lord. I want to reciprocate his goodness back to him in worship, in a lifestyle of worship. And then he ends that line with the really really radical part. What are the last 3 words? At all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. You and I both know it is so easy to explode and respond in worship. In those moments where you're sitting on the back patio and the Lord overwhelms you with his goodness and you're like, "Yeah, I'll bless the Lord. Yeah, I'll worship him right now." How about those times in life that aren't like that? Well, How in the world do we bless the Lord at all times? And um, I want you to know that as David writes Psalm 34, this is one of those beautiful psalms where we get that superscription, that header over the psalm that tells us what's going on in David's life as he Writes this. So go right above what you find in verse one, and let's read this superscription above Psalm 34. It says, Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. We know because another part of scripture tells us what's going on in David's life at this time right here. If we flipped back to like 1 Samuel 19 and 20 and 21, we would be walking with David through this part of his life. And kind of let me summarize that section for us. Um, uh, King David, or he's not king yet, David has married the king's daughter. Uh, The current king, King Saul, um, he grows to hate David. And so David, at this point in his life, is on the run from his father-in-law who wants to kill him. And you thought you had issue with your in-laws, right? From place to place to place, David is running and hiding from his father-in-law who, oh, by the way, happens to be the king, who, oh, by the way, wants him dead. David has come to such a desperate point in his running and hiding, he had fled to the city of Gath. Uh, I think I have a... a Dakota, let's go to that first part of 1 Samuel, um, that scripture here on the screen. Uh, And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of what city? Now that might not jump off the page to you until you realize that um, a few years before this, David uh, got into a fight with a guy who stood about nine to ten feet tall, took a slingshot, leveled the dude. Do you know where that guy named Goliath was from? He's from Gath. David is in such a desperate place in his life. He's like, I don't know where else to go to hide. He goes to the gates of his enemies. He goes to Gath and um, He's so desperate as he comes knocking on the gates of his enemies that it says, so he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let spittle run down his beard. You seeing it? You got to see that. Picture the spittle on the beard. He's clawing at the gates and they're like, isn't this David, like, isn't this the dude who fought Goliath? Like, leveled him, cut off his head, held it up, and we all took off running from? Look at him! And here's David at it. I mean, does life get more desperate than where this is right now? So, what did the people of Gath do? It says then Achish said to his servants, "Behold, you see the man is mad." Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? Don't I have enough crazy in this town already? (laughs) That you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Answer, no. David can't even find refuge in the gates of his enemies right now. And on the run, he continues to go. (laughs) We have to understand as David pens what I believe is one of the most beautiful worship songs that we could possibly study this morning. He is not at a place in life when um, he's sitting on the throne and the palace just got got a, a renovation. He is not at a stage in his life where he is watching his son Solomon just grow up and like, man, that guy has a future. David, as he writes this, has just been turned away from the gates of his enemies where he acted like he was insane to try to find refuge there. That's what's going on when he pens, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's the title of today's message, Good bad, or just downright ugly. I will bless the Lord. And now I think what we're going to find in this psalm are what I'm calling four worship rallying realities. Four worship rallying realities. That when, when you find yourself good, bad, somewhere in between, and you're like, I do, Lord, my heart, I just want my heart to respond in worship. What are some things that David unpacks here as he writes this song that remind his heart of why the Lord is worthy of our blessing, of our worship in any circumstance that we find ourselves in? And so let's walk through these four worship rallying realities. Number one is this I will bless, exalt, and make much of the Lord because he is worthy of worship in any circumstance. Verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its what? What's it say? My soul makes its what? Come on. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Do you know as Christians, we are to be boastful people? As Christians, we are to be boastful people. Not boasting in ourselves, not boasting in our gifts, not boasting in our family. We are to boast in the Lord. And we are to be unashamed about boasting in our Lord. David, at a point in his life where he's running from his father-in-law who wants to kill him, just been turned away by his enemies, acting like a madman at their gate, he's like, I will boast in the Lord. Always. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the, let the, let the, come on, let the next word, let the who hear. Let the humble hear and be glad. Only the humble can exalt the Lord when life is not going the way that exalts them. If if we're prideful, and oh, by the way, uh, newsflash, we all are, when life doesn't go our way and it doesn't exalt our comfort or our prosperity or our whatever, we tend to not be ready to Worship the Lord and boast. But when the humble, when the humble here, even in meager circumstances, even in things that beat them down, they're like, I can still boast in the Lord. Because I know he can still be exalted in the midst of this low point in my life. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord. Come on, church. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name. What's the word? Let us exalt his name together. Look at what David just did there. He just invited others into the worship of the Lord at, let's be honest, a time when we probably wouldn't be inviting other people into worshiping the Lord with us. He says this is not, um, this is not a solo gig. I'm not just trying to tell my own heart in the midst of a really hard season of life that, okay, Brock, you gotta worship, you gotta worship. He's saying, hey, hey, hey come on, come on, come on, family, let's go, let's go exalt the Lord's name together, let's magnify the Lord together, and he invites people into this. Um, I would submit to us this morning. Don't miss what verse three just said. As we think about the Lord as the one who is worthy of worship at all times, in any circumstance, high, low, good, bad, beautiful season, or just downright ugly. I think our tendency is when we are in those downright ugly and those bad times, we want to isolate ourselves, right? We just kind of want to go be with our thoughts. And don't hear me say, I think there's a place for that. I think there's a place for us to just get with the Lord one-on-one, process some things, I would just say to us, we can't stay in that place. We must invite other believers in and say, let's magnify the Lord together, even though this situation I'm walking through right now isn't uh, something that I would particularly choose. Let's exalt His name together. I submit to us, it's the times in life we feel like worshiping the least. We must worship the most. I don't feel like singing. I know you don't. Sing. No, you don't understand how angry I am right now. I know. Sing. I don't know if God can handle what I'm saying. Have you read the Psalms? They're downright raw. And this is a hymn book. The times we feel Like worshiping the least are the times we need to worship the most. And as we worship, not only, yes, time for this, but not only isolated off from everyone else, but walking out in the midst of the living room with the family and saying, Come, let us exalt his name together. And they're going to go, Dad, what are you talking about? Do you understand what we're walking through right now? I totally understand it. And I totally don't feel like singing worship to the Lord right now. And that's why we need to do it all the more. I don't want to go to church this Sunday. People have no idea what we're walking through. I know you don't want to go to church this Sunday. It's why you need to go all the more. Let us exalt His name together. And I would tell us this morning, it is the times in life when literally the knees have just been cut out from under you. When you look other believers in the eye and you say, could you come exalt the Lord together with me? And when unbelievers watch in and go, what are they doing? The witness that that is. To say, no, 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 no. My God is so good. He's worthy of my worship. When I am on the mountaintops and when I am in the valley. And David, as he begins this song. is just like, I'm going to worship. And uh, I'm looking for some people who want to come worship with me. And it doesn't make any sense intuitively of how he's bringing his heart to this place. Um, I'll bless, exalt, and make much of the Lord because he is worthy of worship in any circumstance. Good, bad, ugly. Second, I'll bless, exalt, and make much of the Lord because he delivers me from fear and trouble. Look at what David says as he goes on here, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my, what's the word? I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Think of what he just said there. In the midst of being turned away from the gates of Gath, my face can be glowing, My faith can be radiant. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Why can we bless and exalt and make much of the Lord? Because he delivers me from fear and trouble. We had a whole sermon on fear last week. We know how easily fear creeps into our heart. We know that fear can paralyze with just one phone call. We know that we can be walking down a normal day, something happened, and boom, fear, there it is. This unwelcome guest that just so quickly settles in our heart. I want you to look at what David says here. I sought the Lord, he answered me, he delivered me from all my fears. Those who looked at him, they're radiant, their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and again, the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. Now, um, we got to jump back to the story of what David's going through. Do you know, we've got to get this, because we have to understand rightly what Psalm 34 says. 4 through 6 is saying and what it's not saying. From this moment in David's life, as we read about it in 1 Samuel, there are 10 more chapters after this of David still being on the run from King Saul. 10 more chapters. So when he says, in this moment, The Lord has delivered me from all my fears. The Lord has rescued me out of my trouble. You're kind of like, well, if you're writing this after the whole crazy thing at the gates of Gath, David, like you still had a long time ahead of running from Saul. I think it's beautiful to note for us this morning that the Lord can deliver us from our fears long before He delivers us from the fearful circumstance. I think it's so comforting to know that the Lord can rescue us from a troubled heart long before we walk out of the troubling circumstance. I got to go back to it last week. If you're here, Kevin, home alone, right? Front walk. He walks out boldly. I'm not afraid anymore. His parents are still gone, right? For us to be able to say, I'm I'm not afraid anymore. And for other people around us in our circle to go, "What what do you mean you're not afraid anymore? Nothing has changed about your circumstances. Yeah, I know. But the Lord has reminded me who he is. I'm not afraid anymore. Ten more chapters, David will be running from Saul who wants to take his head off. And yet right here he says, I cried to the Lord. He heard me. He's delivered me from my fears. And oh, by the way, I don't think um, this is just like a one-time thing in David's life. I think he probably got up the next day and said, Yep, Saul's still chasing me. Lord, I'm crying out. And oh, yep, today the Lord's rescuing him from his fears. Again and again and again and again. Why will we bless and exalt and make much of the Lord? Because he hears us and he sees and he delivers us from fear in trouble. And now, if all of this has been kind of nebulous concept, we now get a visual from King David as he writes this. And it's one of the most comforting visuals he could have possibly written. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord, and my understanding of Old Testament, pre-incarnate Christ right here. Not just any old angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ, the, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. The angel of the Lord sets up camp around those who fear him and delivers them. Why can we bless and exalt and make much of the Lord? Because thirdly, he encamps around me if I fear him and promises that I'll lack no good thing. The angel of the Lord encamps around him. Go on to verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. Think about what he just said there. He's like, "Even, even lions go hungry. And they're like the king of the jungle. Those who fear the Lord, he encamps around them. They take refuge in Him, and they lack no good thing. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Verse 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, let's just kind of step through the parts of this. Let's chop this up a bit. I will bless and exalt and make much of the Lord. Why? Because he encamps around those who fear him. Now, we just talked about fear for 40 minutes last week and how like the people of God we aren't to be fearful people and yet there's this recurring theme we see from cover to cover of scripture that there is one dominating fear that God's people are to live with and it is a fear of the, a fear of the Lord. So think about how, how the, the paradigm of this, he says, fear the Lord. Verse seven, Camp around those who fear him, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, Uh, second part of verse 9. Those who fear him, Uh, verse 11. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He says, I want to grow in this fear of the Lord, but at the same time he's writing about the fear of the Lord, he's also saying, go take refuge in this, Lord. We're to draw near to the Lord, to take refuge in the Lord, and at the same time, there's this reverent awe and fear of the Lord. Chronicles of Narnia, anyone? Chronicles of Narnia, fans? Huh? Huh? Uh, Aslan, right? Someone asks, Is he safe? And the reply is, Oh, he's not safe, but he is good. The Lord, in his goodness, you draw near, you take refuge while your heart fears that Lord with that healthy, pure, holy fear. And as you draw near, as you take refuge, as your heart grows in the healthy, holy, pure fear of the Lord, verse 8, you taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Last night, I'm at a dinner celebration, and the host put before us The thickest filet mignons I've ever seen in my life. How do you, um, steak people, how do you eat a filet mignon? Slowly. (laughs) That ain't no chuck steak in front of you, bro. You cut it slowly, you chew it slowly and you savor every bite. Is your life at a slow enough pace where you can taste and see that the Lord is good? When you're going through a situation like David's, probably not the same, if you're on the run from your father-in-law who wants to kill you, you need to tell someone, okay? (laughs) We need to get you help. But when you're going through a valley season like this, your brain can go frantic. The RPMs just go, 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 go. Gotta solve it, gotta solve it, gotta solve it, gotta solve it. Fear, 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 fear. Slow and taste and savor and see that the Lord is still good. And so David says, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, He encamps around me. He encamps around those who fear Him. He delivers those who fear Him. As we, as we find our refuge in the one who's encamping around us, we're tasting and we're seeing His goodness and we're looking out in the like. well, you know, circumstances are still really, really bad, but man, He's still really, really good. And that pure and holy Fear of the Lord is growing inside of us. Why can we bless and exalt and make much of the Lord? Because He's in camps around those who fear Him. And He promises that we'll lack no good thing. And then fourthly, I will bless and exalt and make much of the Lord because He richly blesses the righteous. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, am I righteous? Which we are in Christ. Verse 15. Now, see the descriptive words here. Okay? The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. Look at me, every eye up here. I don't know who this is for, but it's for someone. If you walked in in one of these valley seasons, you have to know the Lord sees you. He sees you. He is not blind to it. He has not forsaken you. And if right now you want to shout back to me in your heart, but why? I don't know. But I know He knows. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Yeah, but does he hear me? And his ears hear their cries. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Hear this now, those of you hurting in the room this morning. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Did you catch that? Man, don't you wish that verse said the righteous experience no afflictions. But what did it say? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But... Wait for it. Such a good promise to come. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. 21, affliction will slay the wicked. Those who don't know the Lord, when affliction comes in, it will absolutely lay them out. There is no bedrock for footing for them when affliction comes There is no refuge that they can run to and affliction wins. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Verse 22. We're going to sit in it and it's going to be good. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, now, stay right there. As Psalm 34 ends, and we hear the Lord redeems the life of his servants, um, uh, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. I want to make sure every heart in the room here today understands that's not just some feel-good nebulous concept. Because right from the end of Psalm 34, we can jump to a ton of places in the New Testament. But let me jump here to Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in the room today and you just read the end of Psalm 34 and you're like, what does it mean that the Lord would redeem my life? What does it mean that none who take refuge in him will be condemned? If you walked in here with a fuzzy understanding or no understanding at all of what it means for the Lord to redeem you or for the Lord to be your refuge, that understanding doesn't have to remain fuzzy anymore. When Scripture speaks about this, and he says the righteous." The righteous will find their refuge in Christ. Another part of Scripture says, there is no one righteous, not one. And it's like, uh uh-oh, we have a problem. If the Lord will not condemn the righteous, and if uh, the righteous find their refuge in Christ, and there is no one righteous, not one of us sitting in the room is righteous on our own, we have a big problem with the Lord. And the problem is that all of us have sinned. We've all rebelled against God. And the penalty, what we deserve for our sin, is to be cut off from a holy God forever. And yet, the creator of the universe did not look at us in our sin and did not say, look at, the, look at those things they're doing to each other. Look at those things they're thinking. Look at those things they're saying to each other. Oh my goodness, I'm done. I want to get as far away from these people as possible. He did the polar opposite. He drew near. And he came in the flesh. He sent his only son to this broken world who lived the perfect life that we never could have lived and died the death that we all deserve to die and then three days later rose again and won the victory none of us could have won. And now what God tells us is that if we will put our faith in his son, the Bible says, for you are saved by grace through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. If I walked up to you this morning and I said, um, hey, what are you trusting in to get to heaven one day? What are you trusting in to see God one day? And if you said, well, you know, I think what I'm trusting in, it's like I've lived a pretty good life. You know, there's been a few hiccups and missteps, but overall, like, I think I've lived a pretty good life. And I think when I stand before the Lord one day, he will go, you know what, You, you did pretty good. Like, come on in. Or if your answer is, I, grew, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home and I know all this stuff. Everything you just said today, I know it all. I've heard it my whole life. I'm just trusting in the fact that I grew up in a Christian home and I know a lot about Christian things. The truth is, the only answer to the question, what are you trusting in to get to heaven one day, to see God one day, is Jesus. I'm trusting in the fact that I was absolutely a wretched rebel and that God out of this love I can't even understand would send his own son for me and that son lived a perfect life that I didn't live and he died my, the death in my place and then he rose again and I'm just trusting in the fact that the Lord says if I put my faith in him I will be saved. That's what I'm trusting and that is the only right answer to the question how will you see the Lord one day? And so I just say as we get to the end of Psalm 34, if you walked in here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you might even be one of those people who, like me, like grew up in the church, man, I heard I sat under sermons like this my whole life. And it wasn't until I was 19 years old when I went, Oh, I knew a lot about Jesus, but I did not know Jesus. Jesus, I want to know you. I'd say to you today for your life to be redeemed as one of his servants and for you to take refuge in him. You must call on him in faith this morning. And I'm not gonna give you a certain prayer to pray. I believe so strongly as the Holy Spirit calls people to himself, um, the Lord will put on your heart a cry that you'll cry out and say, Jesus, I was jacked up and I am jacked up. And I see what you did. You are my substitute sufferer and you have come and you've died for my sin. And my sin was against you, a holy and perfect God. And and I want you today. I want my life to be yours today. You will cry out to the Lord and whatever expression in which that, that fits the personality that God has given you. But don't walk out of here if you've never cried on the name of Jesus. Cry out on the name of Jesus today and then tell someone. Tell someone you know here, tell someone you came with, come up front here and let's talk about it together. If you're like, I don't know if I understand all this or I don't know if I know Jesus or I don't know if I'm ready for this, don't walk out of here without solidifying this in your heart. Let's talk before you leave. Church, let's get ready to worship. Stand with me. Psalm 34. poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them take it to the bank oh taste and see that the Lord is good Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking to see. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. He sees you and he hears you. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and the name of that redemption is Jesus Christ. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Father, would you now, as we respond to this in worship, Would you drive these truths deeply into our hearts? Would we not hear Psalm 34 and just merely hear it and then walk out of here and not let that affect the way we navigate through the mountaintops and the valleys and everything in between? Because Lord, good, bad, or ugly, You are worthy of our worship. And we, like David, want to say we will bless you at all times. Lord, let that be the cry of us, your people now. In Jesus' name.